Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Confidence Project. I'm your host, Kimberly Hill, and this podcast is all about life and dating and relationships and navigating this intoxicatingly tricky world that we are all in. I want to bring you humor. I want to bring you fun. I want to bring you practical advice that you can apply right away in your lives and your dating lives and in your relationships. So thank you all for tuning in. I look forward to bringing you another episode. What are we waiting for? Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Self-Confidence Project. I'm your host, Kimberly Hill. I'm excited to bring you another episode this week. It's the first time I'm actually bringing on two guests all at once. So we've got double the love and double the fun. Um, Just want to thank everyone who's been listening to my show. New listeners that have been joining me in 2022. It's a real pleasure bringing you episodes every week. If you haven't done so, just leave me a five-star review. Of course, if you love the show, um, it really helps to spread it out to a lot more people. Um, So today I want to introduce two guests, Sean and Amanda. Sean has worked in the field of domestic and sexual violence prevention for over five years. He's presented uh, tons of topics ranging from consent, healthy relationships, human trafficking, warning signs of violence, and policy implications. Through the use of his expertise in social justice, He's driven to create equitable, inclusive, and safe communities. Sean, welcome. And we also have Amanda. Amanda's been in the world of domestic and sexual violence prevention for three years. She's given educational presentations to groups that range from pre-K to those in residential MD programs. She's also nationally recognized advocate for victims of crime and spends time on a crisis intervention hotline. Her passion for equity, inclusive inclusion, diversity and justice is what drives her to be the best advocate and educator educator she can be. (laughs) Sean, Amanda, welcome. I'm so pleased to have you both here. How are you both doing? Doing Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for being flexible. I know I had to rebook you guys because I got stuck in Mexico. There are worse places to be stuck. (laughs) I know. Darn. Extra. It was stressful. You know, when you say goodbye to everyone, you get to the airport, you're super excited to come home. You've been nice and well rested. And then it's like, nope, you've been denied. So (laughs) I was able to kind of get home a couple days later and, uh, Glad to be back and I've been looking forward to hosting the two of you, especially because, and I Sean and I were talking just for a couple minutes there before you joined Amanda about how kind of timely this podcast is. It's always timely, but even more so because a lot of people are tuning in and watching uh, basically Amanda Heard and Johnny Depp live go through their, uh, their trial right now. So uh, I want to hear you guys' introductions, how the two of you met, but firstly, I want to dive into what do you think about what's going on right now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like we were talking a bit, a bit earlier, Kimberly, it really feels like this situation is one of those rare instances where both people are just really crappy in the relationship. And it's like, we know that relationship abuse comes down to the desire to have power and control of the other person. But it's as I'm hearing both sides of this story is it almost feels like both people were vying for that control, not one person having it over the other. So in the attempts of both of them vying for that control, it really just ended up both of them being abusive to each other. Yeah, sure. It sure seems to be painting a picture that way. Right. But the thing nowadays is like, who knows what's real and what's not anymore? What do you think, Amanda? Yeah. I mean, like you said, we're, we're never going to know. We weren't 
in the rooms. We weren't there with them through every single day of their relationship, but it definitely um, alludes to it just being a toxic relationship on both parts. And, um, you know, unfortunately it's, it's to this place. Like you can't, you can't say like, Oh, yep this person was definitely, you know, the abuser and this person was abused um, because there's a lot of back and forth play in it. But at least like, I mean, maybe we're kind of shedding at least somewhat light that a man who's very known, who has a lot of, you know, power in the world can still be a victim of domestic abuse. So no matter what's going on in their relationship, what, whatever has happened and where things end up, at least maybe there's a little bit of light somewhere in there about it. Yeah. I mean, I hope there's something positive we can take from being able to witness this trial. Although I don't think much positive is coming about it for either of them. That's for sure. (laughs) Good God. Uh, It's kind of a guilty pleasure. It's like a dumpster fire. There's so many, uh, you know, reality (laughs) dating shows now on Netflix that I feel like are basically teaching the complete wrong skills to people. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 Like I saw just, On that note, I saw like a trailer for one of those dating shows on Netflix where it's like this couple is is given an ultimatum. Uh I watched the whole thing. I did an episode (laughs) on it. It's awful. I want to hear what you think. (laughs) I haven't haven't watched it. Just Mm. I was going to out of sheer just interest and curiosity of how badly it could go. I'm just like from the get go, any couple that decides to sign up for that, I already feel like isn't in a good place. <laughs> no, uh, I, w- I would say giving a partner an ultimatum is probably one of the worst ways to have your needs genuinely met. Oh, right? yeah. It's like, Sean, you have to do this. Otherwise I'm leaving you, which is a threat. And then the person makes a decision to say, well, I will compromise my value or I'll rush into something just to keep you because I'm too afraid of you walking away. Like that for me is not a healthy foundation to start a relationship. No, um, you're putting those tests yeah. on love and yeah. you know, like real love doesn't need tests. It's yeah. either, you know, it's, I mean, yes, there's, there's complexities to it and things like that, but it's either there. Or it's not, you're not going to have to like try and pressure someone into whatever. I don't know what the show is, but Whatever it is that your ultimatum is. (laughs) The the ultimatum is, I want to get married. It's either the man or the woman that is giving the ultimatum and say, I want to get married or I'm walking away from the relationship. And they're in their young 20s. Yeah. I'm like, you guys don't even know what a relationship is like yet. Like you're just, you're just starting. (laughs) Well, it's like even listening to it. It's like, I have close, like close friends of mine who have been dating for years. And one of them, wants to get married the other one wants to get married eventually but like they haven't just mm-hmm. they haven't popped the question yet yeah but like it's not an argument between them like yeah. they're not throwing the ultimatum on like you're gonna need to propose to me or i'm leaving like yeah. not so they're good. still in a happy healthy relationship like you can have that without the marriage piece and yeah. if that's something you really want like there's conversations you can have ultimately it's not work no it's like you need to love me in the way I want to be loved right now, or I'm leaving you. (laughs) Sweet. Good luck with that. Now we could talk about that all day, but I I want to uh, give you both an opportunity to kind of tell me a little bit about your individual stories and how the two of you connected. Yeah. Um, 
So do you want to go first? Amanda? Yeah, I was going to say, go ahead, Sean. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so I kind of got into this field by accident. <laughs> Perfect. Love um, it. Yeah. It's always great when I say that. And after, after people who are like, oh, I've experienced domestic violence. So I had this calling to do it or I've experienced sexual assault. So I had this calling, or I know someone who has experienced these things and I wanted to help other people who are going through it. Yep. And I fell into it. <laughs> Perfect. That's like me. I fell into dating and relationship coaching, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I have a bachelor's degree of health in health science and I have a master's degree in public health. Um, when I was getting my bachelor's, I worked as a peer educator and throughout that I was doing education on alcohol, like tobacco, other drugs, relationships, things like that at the college that I attended. Um, when I graduated, didn't have a job, couldn't find one anywhere because no one was hiring a bachelor's of health science. Cause it's a very vague general health degree that gives you no skills. Really? Okay. Yeah. I hear you. <laughs> um, so I applied for a marketing job and somehow they hired me for that. Perfect. I have to say, I'm like, maybe it was because of my charisma, because I'm not good at marketing. <laughs> um, so I did that for about three months, but then I found um, the domestic violence shelter that I now work for. They had an open position for a prevention educator, like mm. going into schools and doing stuff very similar to what I was doing in my undergrad at my campus. So I'm like, cool. That sounds like something I could do. I know yeah. what it's like. I applied for some reason. They hired me and I've been there ever since. Okay. So you kind of fell into it. Like you couldn't really find something else somewhere else. So here you go. But maybe that's, that was your calling, right? That's where you meant. Oh, I, I am very happy that I fell into it because I absolutely love what I do. Oh, okay. I love it. Good. And I want to know more about the education and prevention piece, but Amanda, how did you, how did you roll into this field? Um, so before, (laughs) before I came to work at the agency that I work at now, um, I worked in pharmacy for 13 years Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that's kind of one of those jobs that you go into because like, you know, you want to help people, but you don't want to touch people. So (laughs) perfect. um, I love it. That's like me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. So, all right, I'll go, I'll go behind the scenes, do the, do the medicine stuff. And, um, then I just wasn't feeling like it was kind of fulfilling that Mm-hmm. the purpose in my life or whatever. So I just started kind of looking out to see what else, um, I could do that I thought would make like a personal difference to, to something. Mm-hmm. And, um, the company that I work at had a position open for a volunteer manager and my bachelor's degree is in business management administration. So, um, I was like, Oh, I could probably do that. Right. So of course, um, apply. They, again, for some reason hired me. I don't know. Um, and then through my time working here, um, kind of my position got combined with the community outreach prevention education portion of our world. And so I do both of those things now. So I, I do community outreach, prevention, education, and volunteer management. Gotcha. So both of you are definitely in the prevention an education space and what led you to each other? Um, so both of our shelters that we work for work in relative close, relatively close proximity to each other. Like, I think it's like 20, like maybe 15, 20 mile, like difference between the two agencies. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were looking really for a way to kind of have a collaboration because people who work in the city that um, I work, I work in, live in the city that Amanda works in, or people who 
work in the city that I do, like vice versa, same thing, um, because they're so close to each other. So we kind of created a podcast to have a continuous collaboration between our agencies. Perfect. And then guys, that's called the Touchy Subjects podcast. We'll talk a little bit about that later as well and make sure the link is there so you guys can go listen and and check them out. Um, Mike, big question to dive straight into this. How, How do you teach someone to prevent abuse? You talk about how you guys advocate for prevention. Is that what, what, how do you do that? I have no idea. If you're teaching young children to prevent this, what are you telling them? You want to start? Sure. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I opened up Pandora's box for you guys. Oh, no, I could, it's literally our job. So like we could literally talk about this all day. No, no, well, that's perfect. Um, and that's exactly what, what we're here for. And, and then I want to talk about abuse towards men, but I, I want to understand how does one prevent it? How do you learn to prevent this? Or what is it that you're teaching kids and adults? Yeah. So looking at it from the prevention perspective. So like I said, my master's degrees in public health, that's generally where I'm going to focus mm-hmm. most of my like centering of my conversations. Um, if I want to prevent something, I have to hit the root causes of it. I can't just say, Hey, don't hit your partner mm-hmm. or Hey, don't talk poorly about them because while yes, we know those things are bad and you shouldn't do those in a relationship. Me telling them not to do it isn't addressing what the cause of that abuse is. Okay. So the cause of abuse in any relationship is the desire to have power control over the other person in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And that belief that you have more power over somebody else or the desire to have more power over them directly comes from how you have learned to view people in your communities. Okay. So if I grow up believing that men are superior to women, I am now in a relationship with a woman. If I hold true to myself that men are better than women, I inherently now have more power over her. Mm -hmm. So me doing things that are my attempts or my desire to gain that power over her then are those abusive red flags that we talk about when someone says, oh, if they talk poorly about their partners, if they um, are acting jealous of them, if they're going through their phones, things like that, which are early, those early red flags or warning signs. Those are my attempts now at gaining that power over her Mm -hmm. because I already believe she's less than me. So if we want to prevent domestic and sexual violence, we have to shift or change how people are viewing other people in their communities to view them more as equal. Because if we're viewing somebody as an equal and having that equal and mutual respect in our relationships, one of us isn't vying for more power over the other one. We're treating it like that partnership, like it's supposed to be. Okay. Okay. So and the, just to kind of yeah. elaborate on that a little bit, like it doesn't, it doesn't have to stem from that. Um, you know, men are superior to women. It can be literally anything that's going on in your life. I make more money. Therefore I'm superior. Mm. I have never cheated. Therefore I'm superior. I have these beliefs in my life. Therefore I'm superior. I come from a more connected family. I have both of my parents. I have more friends than you. I'm taller and better looking in my own mind than you. I imagine it can be kind of an endless list. Right. And that's like, I feel like that feeds contempt, but contempt is one of the number one predictors of uh, divorce, which is that 
like the eye rolling the I'm better than you. Like, I can't, like, I can't hear your opinion because it's below me anyways. Right. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so really just kind of like, like show, um, with my public health stuff is like, we talk about social determinants of health or just how social factors are placed upon people based on their identities. Mm. So those were, those are all the things that we've listed off. If you come from a family where both parents are still ma- happily married in a happy relationship with each other, if you come from a well-off family, like your social standing in our society mm-hmm. is higher. Right. Um, somebody who is of the LGBTQ community, the, generally the way that they generally the way that they're viewed in communities is a little bit for less unfortunately than. less than. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when that lesser view is equated to them. Those are the populations then who are the ones who are the most at risk for violence being perpetrated against them. Which is why I imagine we see higher rates of abuse towards women and then LGBTQ. And these days I'm very like, pretend I know nothing because that's close to the truth (laughs) about gender identity and people that consider themselves not like I, I, I don't, I'm ignorant when it comes to that. I hope that I don't feel superior. It's more of a lack of understanding of people. And I like to understand people. That's why I do what I do. I love to be curious about why people believe what they believe and whether that helps them or supports them or not. And so I imagine you two would have the statistics, but as of 2022, do we know what the most abused kind of population is these days? Or yeah, I mean, still highly saying. women in general. Still highly women. That's, yeah. That's, I think, going to be probably the case for at least another century. And then if you look at all of the things going on in the world, that's unfortunately focusing on those minority populations, it's going to continue to be any kind of minority population that's going to have a higher rate. Yeah. Once you have experienced abuse in your life of some sort, you are more likely to be victimized again later in life. So not just domestic or sexual violence. If you were the victim of a hate crime, Hmm. um, you know, for being in the LGBTQIA community, you've now already been victimized, you're more likely to be victimized again. Can I ask what, cause I've heard this before and I brought a friend on who a uh, survivor of abuse, lots of people come on my show that have had uh, personal stories to share, but why is it that if you have been abused in one way or w- one form that you become more likely to receive that again and again? Um, so the way that I tend to try and like phrase it to like help with it is it's in part because of how we're already viewing the groups of people who are experiencing violence at the higher rates. Yeah. Okay. So you're already part of that group that's more Mm -hmm. targeted. So therefore your chances are going to be likelier, but is there all, is there another factor that plays into that? Like this is again, my ignorance speaking, but do, if you have, if a woman has been in an abusive relationship, right? Does she somehow unconsciously seek out that type of dynamic in a partner again? Or is that, does that not play into it at all? Um, I would think that it's probably going to be a bit more of she has, someone who has experienced abuse in the relationship has already gotten to a point where 
they had their partner was they were already had, having to make justifications for their partner and for that abuse they were experiencing. Mm-hmm. Abusive relationships never start out abusive. Yeah. They're going to start out looking like any other relationship. And then when some of those early red flags or warning signs start happening, mm-hmm. if that person doesn't have an understanding that those things are abusive or unhealthy, by the time it gets to the point where we're already, where we recognize like, oh yeah, that's definitely unhealthy or abusive. Okay. They've already had either their self-esteem lowered to where they now believe the, the abuse is their fault or they should accept right. the abuse. They're cut off from people. So they have no support systems anymore. They may be terrified of what their partner could do to them. Yeah. Um, so it's a whole bunch of things that can play into it. But if you've experienced abuse, you're more likely to experience again because of all of these factors. All right. I know right. it's not you, one you've single seen thing. It, yeah. yeah. You've yeah. seen it before. Um, it's a lot easier for somebody who is an abuser to beat down someone who's already been down. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. Cause the other people, you know, it's, I, I try to think of the right words to use. Cause I don't want to ever <laughs> be offensive, but it's like, if they are, if someone hasn't been abused, then they may have a stronger understanding of what kind of behavior they wouldn't tolerate. And their self-esteem is most likely higher because they haven't been abused. So they're going to more likely walk away from that relationship. I imagine. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Right. Well, it's yeah. even if you think about it, if like if someone's experiencing abuse at home, yeah. like as they're growing up, they've already l- grown up to learn and accept abuse from someone who loves or cares about them. Right. So maybe their partner in their relationship later on says, I would never treat you that way. I would never do those things to you. And that mm-hmm. sounds really good to someone who has never experienced that. Of course. Yeah. And then once they see their partner as this really loving and caring person. Some of those signs, some of those things may leak in again mm-hmm. because that person already has an understanding. They may be able to have more power over them because they've experienced this before. Yeah. What, one thing I want to talk about and just give some clarity to the audience as well, because I, I have men, mainly men listening to my show and women mm-hmm. as well. But um, you mentioned some of the early red flags. Let's go over those again, because I think it'd be, uh, people are just going to be taking notes, right? <laughs> <laughs> we can what, only hope. Yeah. What are early red flags men and women should be aware of as they get into a new relationship? You want to like, just go back and forth, Sean? <laughs> sure. Um, my favorite one to talk about is jealousy. Okay. Um, so, so tell me, tell me why, right? Cause a, a little bit of jealousy is, is that not okay? Or yeah. So jealousy, extremely common, right? I've experienced jealousy. I am sure everybody listening has experienced it before. And if you haven't, I can basically guarantee you will at some point, Yeah. but with jealousy, it's when they're jealous of, if a partner is jealous of us. So like, let's say my partner was jealous of me for doing something. Mm-hmm. If I'm not having a conversation with them to help overcome the jealousy, mm-hmm. instead of me changing my behavior, that's when it starts to get controlling. So if I have to change what I'm doing because they're jealous of me, right? they're now controlling what I'm doing by using the jealousy. Okay. So if my partner uh, who has a couple female friends, uh, which is I'm fine with, um, he, let's say he goes out for lunch with one of his girlfriends. Uh, girls as friends <laughs> for yes. clarity. Yes. Uh, and then I get really jealous of him. Um, and then we talk about it and he's like, no, there's nothing to worry about here. And I'm like, okay, great. Enjoy. 
that's healthy. A little bit of yes. jealousy. We talk about it. I'm not asking him to not see her or not go for lunch or to modify his behavior, but I just say, Hey, let's, let's something for us to work through as a healthy couple. That's mm-hmm. okay. What would not be okay is if I said, I really, I, I can't, you can't go to lunch with this person. In fact, yes. I think you should cut the friendship off. Right. <laughs> that's right. I imagine I, I right. know is controlling. Once, right. Once your partner starts changing the behavior that they would normally engage in going out to lunch with a friend in order to not start the fight with you. Yeah. Then that's a controlling tactic. Awful. I bet people listening go, uh, yeah, I've been the one to have done that. I bet people are going, yeah, I've done that. And people go, yeah, Yeah, I'd say so. I think that's a very common one, like a partner spending time with someone else. Right. Which is totally normal. And, and a good sign of a healthy relationship is that your partner has friends yes. <laughs> and has people to spend time with. It's entirely healthy. Right. Yes. And you cannot should... be your partner's entire support system. They need no. other people in their lives. Yeah. And to say that I'm going to be able to pick and choose out of the bucket who mm-hmm. you can have as a support system because of their arbitrary things like being a woman or being pretty or pretty whatever. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Then that's, that's when we're controlling our partners. Okay. So the first item on the list is let's label it as like jealousy that leads to controlling behavior because jealousy inherently is like something that will happen. If you discuss it in a healthy way, that's fine. But if it leads to my, I dictate what my partner can and cannot do total red flag, get out of Dodge folks. Okay. What's next? Um, I would say one of the ones that I like people to, to try and look at is when you just dive headfirst into that relationship and it becomes so involved so soon. Yeah. All of a sudden we're spending literally every minute together. I want you to move in with me. Let's have a baby. You can quit your job and stay home and take care of the baby. And I will take care of you. Like to To some people, this sounds like a dream come true, right? Like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to have to date anymore. Like we're here. Um, But look at why. Mm -hmm. That's what you need to look at is why it has to be that fast that soon. And usually it's because um, they're trying to have some sort of control over the relationship or isolating you from your friends and family. Now you're not seeing them. Um, because you're spending every waking moment with me, you're giving up your own autonomy of having your own apartment, your own house, um, and now completely dependent on moving in with them. And of course, like, you know, we're going to get married, have a baby and all this stuff, you know, that's, that's a concrete. Now you are connected to them Mm -hmm. forever, whether you want to be or not, you share a child. For the most part, I mean, there's obviously circumstances where you can get away from those things, but for the most part, there's some sort of connection now forever. So where is the fine line between, wow, I'm so in love with this person. I just want to spend time with them versus I'm so in love with this person. I want to 
kind of <laughs> so take them into my lair, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, oh, strip them away <laughs> from, of course, their job, their friends, their family. Sometimes it's not like that. Sometimes it's, oh my gosh, I'm so obsessed with this person. I love them so much, or I'm in lust or the oxytocin is flowing. And I just want to spend every waking moment with them. I'm not asking them to give up their job or their friends or their family, but we're diving headfirst into, I love you move in with me. You can still keep your job. You can still see your friends, but I miss you when you're gone. Like, where's this fine line between being just enamored with someone and it like falling into an unhealthy pattern. And I'm going through these distinctions because I know people listening go like, Oh shit. Yeah. That's me. (laughs) I've done that. I've, it's not, I've, it's not right. black and white. There's yeah. no like, yes or no, this is good. This is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, in these kinds of situations, I mean, when you first fall in love with someone in your first dating, like that's all you want to do, right? You want to spend time with this new person. You want to spend as gotcha. much time getting to know them. And mm-hmm. you know, the sex is really great. So like, we're, I don't want to, yeah. I don't want to be anywhere else. That doesn't mean that you're necessarily falling into a toxic relationship because if both parties are in it for the right reasons in it, because they just want to spend that time getting to know each other mm-hmm. and learning to appreciate each other and all that stuff, then then that's not something that's controlling. Yeah. It's when it's okay, but mm-hmm. I don't want you to go over to your family barbecue because I would just miss you so much if you were away from me for one hour. Oh gosh. And you're, you're cutting <laughs> off those connections to your family. That you're cutting me. off those connections to your friends. And that's not healthy. Even if both people are like, we're so in love, we're going to do it. We're doing great. You know, it's fine. I don't need anyone else. It's still not healthy. That reminds me of, um, a fu- uh, fun, fun, fun little story. <laughs> My sister was previously married to a U.S. Marine. He went overseas and uh, did two uh, tours of duty in Iraq. And when he was overseas, they would correspond with each other through sat phone or write. They had the system where they could write each other letters. Um, She would write a letter electronically. It would get printed in Iraq and delivered to where he was stationed, which was really cool. Mm -hmm. A way to communicate. And he had a buddy that he was in the same platoon with, platoon with. And I started writing him sight unseen, didn't know who he was, just was like, oh, that's fun. Like to be connected with someone and to give them something to read and look forward to opening because he didn't have anyone writing to him. So this person, let's call him Bob. (laughs) I started writing these letters to Bob Um, and we built like a kind of, I was young, like, I don't know, 15 maybe or something like that, or 16 or 14 young. Uh, We started writing letters back and forth and built a little connection. So when he finished his tour in Iraq and came back to California, back home, I was there with my sister to meet this Bob that I had been writing to for these months. And we developed this kind of emotional connection. And I got all dressed up in a nice dress. My hair was blonde and I met Bob and we kind of had this little spark. And I'm telling you this story because I was now, I live in Vancouver. I was down in California for a couple of weeks, kind of dating Bob all of a sudden. (laughs) And Bob told me that I couldn't go to my sister's barbecue because he couldn't be there. And he didn't want me there because he was, Bob was worried that I would talk to other men. And I remember going, (laughs) 
as if <laughs> I remember thinking I'm all the way down here to spend time with my family and to meet you and to go, I'm going to my sister's barbecue. And that was when I recognized the, the end of the beginning. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that we're, I just, the story just came out and I thought it'd be interesting to share. I grew up in a, a pretty loving home. I'm very fortunate to have not had abuse growing up. Um, and so for me, that was a blazing red flag. And I went, I don't know how this could work because I can't choose you over my sister or my family. And it was like, it was over before it started, but anyways. Yeah. One of the things I'll point out to you for those listening in case they're like, Oh no, I've done some of these things in a relationship. Like we've said, we've all done it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I've never acted unhealthily in a relationship before. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I've never done a behavior in my life that has caused harm to somebody else Mm -hmm. because I absolutely have. That's unfortunately part of living is we're going to hurt people eventually. Um, But it's in a relationship. If you have like one or two of these things popping up or they're happening, that doesn't necessarily make them abusive because we're all human. Good point. Yeah. Good point to make that distinction. We don't want people thinking, oh my God, I'm now like a toxic abuser because I've made a mistake or behaved in a way that's maybe not congruent with my values, but yeah, yeah, it's It's when you have multiple of these behaviors happening at the same time with the purpose of controlling the person. So if you're, you're going to hear us say control a lot, because that's really what these, these behaviors come down to. Yeah. If I'm acting jealous of my partner because they did something, I'm like, okay, one need to talk to him about it, but also I need to look at why that's making me jealous. Mm-hmm. Where is that jealousy coming from? What's it rooted in? Mm-hmm. If I can figure out that root, then I can fix it. So I'm no longer acting unhealthy in that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Or at least in that perspective of things, there might still be other unhealthy things that Sean does in a relationship. I don't know, but <laughs> if he can, if he can kind of identify where that root cause is coming from that caused him to have that behavior, mm-hmm. then there's just that little bit of work that we've done on ourselves. Yeah. If you can't continue to work on yourself and I mean, no, like they said, nobody's perfect. We all make mistakes. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. you're a bad person. That doesn't mean you're a bad boyfriend, a bad girlfriend. It just means sometimes that you've made a mistake. And if you're willing to look at that and acknowledge it and try to do something mm-hmm. to correct that behavior, then you're golden. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Just work on yourself. <laughs> yeah, I know. So easy, right guys? Just work on yourself. <laughs> it's having the awareness of what are like the thoughts we have that lead to the actions we take and whether those and, you know, are, are healthy actions or unhealthy actions, being aware of it. We're all going to have had done those say, what could I do differently or what caused this? And what do I need to talk to my partner about? Because some, some men or women will get quite jealous when their partner's out with other men or women and chatting them up. And maybe it's because they've been cheated on in the past. So, oh yeah, this is a trigger. I have an insecurity here because I've been hurt by a situation that looks familiar to this. So it doesn't mean you can stop your partner from hanging out and chatting with other people, but it's, Hey, let me, let me talk to my partner about this. Let me understand where this is coming from. And Maybe all you guys tell me if this is something that worked, maybe just uh, my partner and I agree that every now and then he'll wink at me across the room just to let me know that we're still connected or to help me. I don't know. Is there some kind of, you know, tool or compromise or solution that a couple can come up with so that they help that person overcome that trigger insecurity? Maybe just a little wink is all that's needed. 
I don't know. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything yeah. wrong with that. Like if it's something you mutually agree on and say, Hey, I know that this is something that I do. I'd really like to work past it. I'd like to be able to, to not have these jealousy feelings mm-hmm. and maybe you can help me get there by just doing this one little thing that just yeah. says, you know, maybe for every three times you go out to lunch with your friend, you invite me along with you one time. I agree. I, you know, I believe, yeah, I believe that if you're in a male female relationship, um, that, that person, I put air quotes here, guys, that person shouldn't have a mutually exclusive relationship with someone from the opposite sex. My partner can have as many female friends as he'd like at some point I'd like to meet them and just to get to know them as well and to mingle our social groups. And then it's like, Oh, he's like, Hey, I'm going out for lunch with a man. I'm like, cool. Have fun. But it's like, hey, I'm going for lunch with Amanda for the eighth time. And I'm like, who's Amanda? That would make me feel a little funny, <laughs> personally. Yeah. Well, so like, so yeah. like personally for me, like in my relationship, like one, the job that I do, mm-hmm. you can kind of imagine that I'm regularly interacting with a bunch of different women. My job um, is B and men only. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. you can understand yeah, this. I totally get it. Yeah. But um, it's like, I have a lot of friends who are women then. Mm-hmm. Um and we'll Snapchat and we'll talk like all the time, but my partner knows who they are. Yeah. Like, sure. Maybe they've never met one of my friends lives in Seattle. So across the state country no problem. have yeah. never met this person before in my life either, but we're still friends, but communicate. Mm-hmm. She'll talk to me about her boyfriend problems, things like that. Yeah. My partner knows who they are. They've like seen each other on Snapchat. They know each other exists. Mm-hmm. So like, it's like you said, doing those little things that we can help kind of alleviate that concern. My partner has never acted jealous of me talking to somebody else, but to me, that's something that I can do for them without them having to say it Mm -hmm. to help potentially alleviate those things. Exactly. Yeah. There's lots of ways to work together as a couple for sure. You don't, you don't want to try and be like secretive about those things. Exactly. And that's, and that to like, to me personally, in my personal life, that's where the trigger would be is if mm-hmm. you were trying to keep something secret from me. Yeah. You're out What's the point? hanging yeah. out with 10 girls. I don't care. Just let mm-hmm. me know where you're going. Like, yeah. you know, Hey, I'm going out with all these people. If like, you're my partner, I care about you. If I like mm-hmm. all of a sudden can't get a hold of you and it's something that we usually do. I mean, I usually know where my husband is just because we talk. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Very good. Good point. Yeah. One healthy tip for relationships. <laughs> point one, talk. We to talk. Each other. Yeah. Nailed it. Yeah. Um, but you know, all of a sudden, you know, I can't get a hold of them for mm-hmm. an undetermined amount of time for no reason. No, you know, it's out of character. It's yeah. out of character. It's yeah. something that secretive that's probably going to trigger me. And I'm probably going to act a little bit jealous at that point, mm-hmm. even though I know that jealousy is something that's, you know, green's not my color, but, (laughs) um, still going to happen because I'm a human being. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So we've got jealousy. Then we've talked a little bit about like burning the oil too hot, too quick. So moving really quick in a relationship, but you know, the kind of maybe motivation is to kind of gather that person into the control dynamic. What else do we think about for pretty alarming red flags? Um, so another one I like talking about is that stalking ends up falling into this category because these are stalking behaviors. But generally, when we think of stalking, we think of the creepy dude hiding in like some bushes or looking through a window. Uh, 
Yeah, but it can but also be. <laughs> it's uh, so like leaving unwanted gifts or messages or showing up where the person is. Ah, this is an important um, one because I talk yeah. about like men pursuing and then when that turns into like chasing slash stalking. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the example that I use for this to help my audiences kind of understand it a bit is the situation with Cardi B and Offset where Offset mm. had cheated on Cardi B for the first time and they broke up for the first time in this very big grand gesture. Mm. Offset storms the stage at one of her concerts and begs for her to come back to him. Think I heard a little bit about this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, well, adding in other abusive behaviors like refusing to accept the breakup, um, sabotaging the worker employment, you also have him wow. showing up where she was. But we as a society have been taught these big grand gestures are signs this person genuinely loves and cares about them. Wow. So had Cardi B turned him down in that moment, she's now the bad guy. So he right. put her. He's put her in a lose-lose situation here. She either but, takes back the guy who cheated on her or she turns him down. And now people view her as the bad guy because of how we've learned to view. Because these she hurt gestures. him in public. And it's like, yes. she should have been like, firstly, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. uh, secondly, no. <laughs> or it's like, the, I'm working yeah. here. I'm busy. The other behavior, I'm, like yeah. in that too, like you're talking to somebody you've recently a new relationship with this person you've been talking non-stop for a while um and then they're kind of like radio silent for a little bit mm -hmm. then you know where they live so you drive by their house to figure out if they're home okay i've stalked someone on. before i fully have done that in like a young <laughs> oh, teenage, young teenage relationship like and i've had it done to me like to you know basically i was like no i want to give us a shot and drove to their house to talk to them yeah <laughs> oh kim it obviously didn't work out <laughs> <laughs> and i'm glad that it didn't but yeah I'm, and here i am driving there thinking this is freaking romantic mm -hmm. totally inappropriate yeah nice nice one. Yeah. So as, as someone who has also done the same thing yeah. and had to actively tell my friends when they were going to go do this, like, do not do that. Right. So that guys, ladies, very creepy. Yeah. Okay. So if you split with someone, okay, there are boundaries to respect. And if someone says, I do not want to have contact with you, then that needs to be respected showing up at their home calling them numerous times, sending them gifts, it, you think is your way of winning them back, but is actually highly inappropriate, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and I don't know if people and it's know that. one of those things we've been, yeah. we've been taught that these are such grand romantic gestures, right? You don't give up on the relationship. You mm -hmm. keep pushing forward. And we're taught that, that that's okay, that that's great to do. And we've also, as women, get taught play hard to get yeah so it goes 100%. both ways you, you see know? it in movies don't, all the time the don't whole, try and manipulate yeah. by playing hard to get don't go overboard with the i'm going to show all of these grand gestures to try and win you back i i know men get really confused about this in the early days of dating they're like well men are supposed to be the pursuers and women are like oh it's i'm yeah, I'm so busy. I'm so hard to, you know, land. Right. And then guys yeah. are like, okay, well, I think she's, I think she's interested because she matched with me and we chatted and we went on a date and it was, it was fun. And now I'm trying to get her on a second date. She's kind of playing a little coy. So I'm sending her flowers. 
right? So, so, you know, okay. And, and she didn't say anything about the flowers, but I'm assuming she got them. So now I'm calling her a bunch and now I'm sending her something else and I'm not really hearing from her. So, but I think it's going well or did go well. So I try harder and harder and harder. And it's like, wow, if, if for me, it's like reciprocity, you need two people to be not always perfectly equal in texting and initiating and all of that, because how would you even figure that out? But it's, it's reciprocity, right? If someone isn't responding to you, if they're not excited to ask you out, if they're not putting effort in to also get to know you, mm-hmm. not everyone has the courage or the balls. And I think we should practice this to say, Hey, I had a great date, but I don't wish to take it any further because mm-hmm. clarity is really important so that someone doesn't try and win someone over or go overboard. Right. It's almost as if you can communicate with somebody. Oh, yeah. You can be able to have a good or relationship with them, or at least have a maybe a good date and then decide, hey, I don't want to see this person ever again. (laughs) I, yeah, I get the question all the time. So we've had a good date, but I don't really think there's going to be a second date. So if either person doesn't respond to either person, is that okay? Or does one person need to reach out and say, Hey, like, I'm not going to plan a second date. I, I don't know. I'd love to hear you guys' take on this, but I personally think like if two people just don't respond to each other, then just move on with your life. That's fine. (laughs) Ghosting people as somebody who has done this. Yeah. Ghosting people is not the good way to go. It's not. (laughs) And I will say, so there can be some instances where ghosting is perfectly acceptable and okay if this person is you've told this person you no longer wish to communicate with them and they continue to try go done that's a good strategy just to ignore Um, yeah but like if you go on a date with somebody you're like oh it was all right but like i don't really feel like there was a spark there i don't wish to pursue this any further just ghosting them isn't helpful to either person in that situation and this is something that i had to work on before um and my therapist was very, very mad about how this happened. Uh, so fun anecdote very quickly. Mm-hmm. While I had been dating people before, now in my happy, healthy relationship with my girlfriend, um, I had been talking to two different people mm-hmm. um, and didn't really want to pursue the one of them. Yeah. Um, had no idea how to have that conversation. And my therapist <laughs> was like, talk to them. Yes. You are a yeah. professional speaker for a living. That should be easy. I was mm-hmm. like, but I prefer to let things just kind of ride and like see what happens. Mm. <laughs> um, oh, the riding is no good. <laughs> I, leave, I, I left that session. Mm-hmm. They had texted me saying that they had been seeing somebody else who they wanted to be more serious with. And me letting it ride worked out. Oh, <laughs> so, you didn't have to do it yourself. <laughs> no. So I get to my therapy session the next week and she was yeah. like, so did you have the conversation with her? I was like, guess what? Yeah, it, <laughs> it worked out for me in my favor because I just didn't have to do anything. She's like, oh, God. but this is <laughs> like, this is avoiding learning opportunity. Yeah, yes. exactly. This is a lot of people hate conflict. They don't want to have it. They'll avoid it. And unfortunately or fortunately having healthy conflict is probably one of the best skills for us to learn in relationships because oh, yeah. two people, two beliefs, two values. Sometimes like we're bound to disagree and have conflict, avoiding it won't solve anything so being able to boldly go into conflict um and say how you feel and make your positive requests and listen to the other person and have empathy is is so so important mm-hmm. right 
Yeah. So, okay, guys, if you're dating and things aren't going well and you want to let her know that you're not interested, this is what I literally say verbatim. Hey, I've really enjoyed chatting. Glad we had a chance to meet and go out. I wish you no respect or no uh, disrespect, but I don't wish to take this uh, any further. Simple as that. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes people respond. This is where the ghosting is okay, right? This sometimes people respond negatively or attack the other person. I can't believe you're doing this to me. I thought we had something good. That's when I feel ignore because you don't owe that person anything. You know, you don't need to now get into an argument on Tinder with someone that you don't want to have a relationship (laughs) with. Please save your time and energy for something more productive. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But letting them know is pretty important. Okay. So we've got Gosh, what was that third red flag? Um, <laughs> so shocking. shocking. Yeah. Showing up where they are, like yeah. sending messages, like things like that. Yeah. This time. Okay. So jealousy, right. burning the oil too hot, too quick, a little controlling behavior and actually like pursuing, leading into kind of chasing, stalking the person when you're not getting anything from them. That's not okay. Okay. What All else right. we got? So I'm going to say that my next one is, um, gaslighting. Mm-hmm. So not everybody knows what gaslighting is, but, yep. um, it's, we're going to turn this situation that we're in around and it's now your fault. Yeah. Ooh. Um, happens I'm a lot in arguments, <laughs> make sure that other people think that, you know, you're the crazy one, you know, um, Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Basically, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's just gaslighting back and forth basically. Yeah. <laughs> but this is definitely something that you can pick up on in a relationship with someone. If you're feeling concerns about some of these other things that are happening in your relationship mm-hmm. and you go, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do the adult thing. I'm going to do the healthy thing. And I'm going to talk to my partner about it. Yeah. And then that conversation turns into, you're just being sensitive. You're Ooh, taking this too far. Sensitive you're, button boom, boom, boom. And all of a sudden now you're like, hmm, none of my concerns were validated in this mm-hmm. and it's all now my fault. Then that's another sign that, um, you know, that domestic violence is happening and will probably continue to happen. Yeah. From, from my experience, because I coach men, I see this a lot in relationships where men build this courage up to be vulnerable with the women that they're dating. And they say, Hey, this is something that's frustrating me, or I have a concern, or I'm a little vulnerable about this. And I want to talk about it with you and turns around into, Oh, you're just being so needy. I don't even know what you're talking about. That is totally not what I said. I can't believe you have that feeling. Right. And then, then these men go, being vulnerable doesn't work. They go, I'm, they, they, they kind of hate on me on my Instagram sometimes for saying, Hey, vulnerability is a skill. We got to learn to do it. And obviously mm-hmm. it's going to be well received with the right person. Yeah. But if you're vulnerable with someone who takes advantage of that vulnerability, not healthy. And people find this out years into a relationship, which is the sad part, I think. Um, so something that I would hit on with that example specifically, Kimberly, is that look at, in a general sense, how we have learned to view men and what roles we've assigned to them. Mm-hmm. Anytime that a man is vulnerable, 
we're told that he's weak or that he's yeah. lesser or that he's quote unquote girly, which mm-hmm. also just goes to the belief and show that we, how we tend to view women in our society. Mm-hmm. But speaking to men specifically, when a guy is vulnerable, regardless of who he's being vulnerable with, if that person believes that men are not supposed to have those feelings or those emotions, it is impossible then for you to have that conversation with them because everybody has feelings. Everybody has emotions. Guys, we are not isolated from the ability to have emotions because we feel them all the time. Mm -hmm. But it's, we've taught everyone that men aren't supposed to be vulnerable. So when we are, we're viewed as there's something wrong. Yeah. Not, it's not that we're being vulnerable. So what we're being vulnerable, vulnerable about needs to be addressed and discussed. It's Mm -hmm. why are you acting so weird? Yeah, you're right. It's out of context for what we've stereotype a man to be like. So it's like, Oh, what was it? Uh, Oh, Amber Heard said it in her case. She goes, and then Johnny Depp started crying. She goes, and I've I've never seen a man cry like that, she said. And it was weird or something like that. She said it was weird and awful to see him cry like that. And I'm like, the poor guy just needed a freaking hug, lady. (laughs) All I needed was a hug and some warmth and comfort. He's going through something emotional. Like, don't freak out at him poor guy Mm -hmm. in that scenario (laughs) yeah well it goes into the discussion that i like to have it a lot is i love talking about masculinity Mm -hmm. it's one of my favorite topics to discuss but when we often have those conversations around masculinity or masculinities is it frames as what are the toxic parts of being a man but it's not whether things are toxic or they're not toxic it's when we look at masculinities and how we're taught them they're being taught to men by everyone everybody is viewing men in those stereotypical ways so it's not that when we are acting like we have more power in a relationship yes those are the unhealthy behaviors those are the toxic behaviors but it's also masculinity hurts us too Mm -hmm. or those unhealthy traits that we're attributing to men are hurting us as well Mm -hmm. so unless we are working to combat those negative stereotypes that are being placed to men, or we're combating those general beliefs that men are supposed to be emotionless. We're still actively harming ourselves because we're cutting ourselves off from half of who we are. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, men aren't raised devoid of emotion. I feel men are raised learning how to have emotions in non-obvious ways. I feel well, right. So growing up, yeah. if you look at there's a, there's been studies that have been done too. If you look at boys, so like young boys around like age four are actually more emotional than their girl counterparts. Mm. But well, my we, little nephew the other day was sitting there and he got emotional and he and he's so smart for four and he goes, nobody ever listens to me. <laughs> I was like, oh, and we all listen to him. Bless his little heart. You know, we maybe we didn't hear something, and he was asking for another piece of fish. He was having some fish and chips. Nobody ever listens to me. And I went, what, well, Mike? And what is it? What What did we not hear? And and I says, there's something wrong with what you're you're eating. And the problem that we weren't hearing was that the pieces of fish had 
broken down into two tiny of pieces. So he wasn't able to stab them with his fork and dip them and catch them and eat them. Mm. Like, so he wanted another piece of fish and we were kind of ignoring that because he had food on his plate still. So that's the, where we were not listening until I was like, is there a problem with the fish that's on your plate? Yeah. I can't dip it in the, ca- aha. <laughs> we can solve this problem. I said, I'll show you the scooping method, <laughs> but I digress. It was yeah. It's just cute to see his emotions and him as a four-year-old going, nobody ever listens to me. I was like, oh, my yeah. little heart broke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like when we're looking at guys, we, we learn through the socialization that we get that we're not supposed to express emotions. Or if yeah. we are, mm-hmm. the only ones we're allowed to express are anger and aggression. Yeah. So when we experience any emotion, like if I'm having a conversation with my partner and the conversation's not going how I want. Instead of me feeling like I can be vulnerable and express that, I now respond with anger or aggression. Yeah. Yeah, that becomes a very common reaction for sure. Yeah. So it's, if we can learn to, it's, it's the nuanced conversations that need to be had around masculinity that often get ignored because as soon as because of the negative connotation that comes with just discussing masculinity mm-hmm. is when a guy hears that are like oh they're gonna tell me being a man is bad i was like no, no that's not the free that's not how it's supposed to go how the conversation is supposed to go is that these are the impacts of the socialization that we experience and yeah. if we don't want those impacts to happen anymore we have to change something mm-hmm. and it's same like for women and men inherently there are things that are toxic behaviors across the board. Just yeah. some of them show more prevalently with women and some show more prevalently with men, right? That doesn't mean that masculinity is toxic. I put a post up maybe a year ago, like toxic masculine traits. This is my mm-hmm. like way that I phrased it. And oh my God, I got so much flack because people were <laughs> misunderstanding what I was saying, I was saying, Hey, these are the wounded parts that come out more often for men that are not healthy and Mm -hmm. need to be addressed. Not being a man is inherently toxic. Clearly that's not the case. So it's interesting. The word toxic masculinity is understood in a lot of different contexts. And a lot of people thought that meant being a man inherently is toxic, which I definitely don't believe, but you know, you write content and it gets understood in different ways right so right yeah well then if you you know you go back to one of the questions you asked in the beginning said how do you teach people you Mm. know about prevention how do you teach kids about prevention Mm. and it goes back to teaching them these things yeah you know you've got to kind of break that that gender barrier role that so many kids get forced upon them you've got to break that um just some, some of those things, like you need to be able to teach all children bodily autonomy. Yeah. And people freak out when you start talking about wanting to go into, you know, a pre-K kindergarten class and do some sort of presentation from a domestic and sexual violence agency, because like, what are you teaching my five-year-old about sex? Yeah. It's got nothing to do with sex. Like we're talking about consent. We're talking Mm -hmm. about their own body. We're talking about whether or not you can take your friend's toy if they don't want you to have it. Mm -hmm. Like those are the conversations that I'm having with five-year-olds and you've got parents freaking out about it. (laughs) Oh, that's just their insecurity about the whole topic. Probably themselves. I imagine. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't, don't, 
put this dark cloud on my child. Right. It's like, Oh, mm-hmm. education is super yeah. important. Right. And, yeah. and kids are forming their beliefs at such a young age. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately, because of when we are doing like our consent education and stuff with them. So like by the time like they get to middle school or high school, they've already gotten years of socialization on how they view relationships, how they view encounter like sexual encounters, especially like in high school, mm. like they've already gotten this information. I'm not able to teach them anything new until I've helped them unlearn some of the behaviors they've already learned is okay. Yeah. I, I wish that I had been educated more on my body and sexuality and how it's okay to say no. And all these things as a young girl, cause you know, that I have the talk air quote with my mom kind of, but my dad never, like we never talked about that. And my mom, it was only a little bit. And then the rest was left for me to just kind of figure it out. And the only thing I learned in school was this is what having a baby looks like, yeah. which terrified so me. Don't have sex. Yes. Yeah, so don't have sex. I was like, wow, that looks awful and painful. And that's very graphic. And I feel like I shouldn't be in this class right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Well, But even when you look just as simply as things um, of, oh, grandma and grandpa gave you a really nice birthday gift. You Mm -hmm. should go over there and give them a hug and a kiss and tell them, thank you. Yeah. What if you don't want to? Yeah. You're teaching a child that they've received a gift. Now they owe physical affection and gratitude. Oh, yeah. that's something that will follow that it's and it just seems so simple right it's not something you're thinking about like that oh you know I want to you know I want to go give grandma and grandpa a hug and a kiss I got a really nice gift but then you take that you extrapolate it for the next 15 years Mm. and now my partner bought me a really nice gift and now I feel like I owe them physical affection for a thank you for the gift or in the opposite I gave a really nice gift this is what I'm owed in return. Yeah. Not because good. when, when they gave it to me, this is what they got, you know, they mm-hmm. got a hug, they got a kiss. They got that physical affirmation of, Oh, these are good things that you've done. Yeah. We need to teach people other ways to get that validation from it. My little niece, she's two. She goes, she just blows a little air kiss from whatever distance she wants to. It's like, okay. <laughs> little air kiss <laughs> sweet and, little thing <laughs> and that's how she wants to show it like, exactly yeah just okay little hand gesture and I'm like what a little sweetie <laughs> <laughs> wow guys in the effort of time we've been going for over an hour and oh, yes. we we haven't got into one of the subjects that I really wanted to talk about so in mm-hmm. lieu of that I maybe like to have you both back on so we can oh, yeah, talk sure. in more detail about because I, I was really I wanted to bring awareness to abuse towards men specifically uh, because I have a male audience. So I think that's too big of a topic to get into now at this point. I think we covered some really important things here. So I just want to have you back on whenever that works so we can go into that specific topic. Because today we kind of, well, we talked about red flags and helping people become aware of some of those things, especially a lot of people listening to my show are dating and you know, we want to become of a red flag, but a red flag, maybe on a bullet list doesn't really explain what that really means. So I'm yeah. glad we went into a lot of detail today, but, um, I want to mention before we wrap up the two of you have the touchy subjects podcast, um, yes. where you talk about domestic violence, sexual assault, um, on the show, talk to me just a little bit about what else is on there. You know, what people can learn, why, why someone should go and have a listen. 
Yeah. So touchy subjects podcast. Um, it started off again, like I said, trying to do a collaboration between domestic sexual violence shelters. Um, and our really main goal when we created it was to have those hard discussions that people mm-hmm. don't necessarily always want to have. Um, and really our show, while it does cover domestic and sexual violence, it covers it in that broad brushstroke. Like I talked about earlier, where we have to address root causes. So we have yeah. to address systemic or societal problems. Um, so we've talked about things like specific issues in the um, black community, LGBTQIA community. Um, we've had survivors who come on and share their stories with us. Um, we discuss with them to then how people could have helped. Like where was where were the gaps that were needed? Um, how can we help victims and survivors? How can we support them? Um, we've had men come on our show and discuss their survivorship. Um, we've had men come on and talk to us about how we can use media as as a means of having conversations that are really difficult to do um, and the need to use that media to have those conversations. So pretty much anything that you can think of related to domestic and sexual violence and even stuff you didn't know could be related to it is going to be on our show. Okay. So go check it out. And I have a a question. LGBTQA? Yeah. So- uh, IA. Okay. So LGBTQIA. Can you tell me what I and A stand for? Cause I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, we can. Okay. So, um, you know, LGBT is pretty common. Like everybody's yeah. kind of probably been aware of those things. Um, the Q is, um, queer questioning. Yeah. That and one I, knew. Yeah. I is intersex. A is for asexual or aromantic. So people intersex? who don't intersex, yep. Is that someone that's non-binary? No. No. What is that? <laughs> this is great. I don't know. Um, so yeah. So it's my phrasing of this is probably not going to be super perfect. Yeah. Um, so if anybody is listening who is intersex i am very sorry if i mess up my example of this caution um, guys we're doing our best to teach kimberly what it, what it means yeah. yeah um so when your genes are mm-hmm. being created while you yeah. are in your mother's womb yeah um shit can go wrong yep <laughs> um and if the chromosomes aren't coded correctly mm-hmm. um somebody may end up with um both reproductive organs okay of the male and female sex. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Um, if you can explain that better, Amanda, or if I was okay, go for it. Yeah. I mean, from my understanding of it, because I'm not well-versed in specifically intersex in the LGBTQIA, but it's basically like what you said, like there's, there's a discrepancy between either um, sexual organs or the chromosomes and the sexual organs. There's just, there's a difference in there that puts people not in that binary XX chromosome, XY chromosome, mm-hmm. vagina, penis. Like Got it. there's a, there's a, an overlap somewhere in there where it doesn't fit into that normative sector. Got it. Okay. And you said A is asexual? Asexual or aromantic. So, so someone who just doesn't prioritize they don't experience or experience. those. Um, you know, they, they may not 
experience sexual attraction to anyone. That doesn't mean that they don't want to have a relationship with someone. That doesn't mean that they don't want to, you know, you know, do those things. They just don't experience that, um, sexual or they don't prioritize it or, you know, and and that doesn't also doesn't mean that they're not going to have sex. People who Mm -hmm. are asexual will still engage in sex. If the partner that they're with wants to, and they want to do it for Mm -hmm. them and that's how they, you know, can, Mm -hmm. can connect, they'll, you know, do that. But it's not their priority in a relationship and it's maybe not something that they're physically experiencing like something that they want okay and then same with a romantic um someone who doesn't experience those romantic feelings towards someone else okay thank you for helping me understand that a little bit more um and thank you for coming on the show i knew that chatting with both of you we would have so much to talk about because it's like, it's two shows in one. So I know I'll have to have the two of you back on to go into more detail, but any parting words, anything you want to share before we sign off today? Yeah. It's one of my favorite examples to use with people to help them understand how somebody can kind of get away with being abusive in their relationship or why somebody may feel trapped by it. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe my friends are weird, but have any of you listening ever had a conversation with your friends about if you needed to get rid of a body, you would know who you could call. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I'm sure we all have had this. Either you've had the conversation with someone or you, or you could think about it like, oh yeah, I could definitely call like Steve and Steve will help me get rid of this body if I needed to. Or yeah. like if Steve called me, I would be helping. I would help him. No questions asked. Got it. Now we're not going to make a justification for every murderer mm-hmm. because we hopefully all can agree that murder is bad and you shouldn't do it. But if it's our friend, we like and we care about them. So we'll make the justifications for them. I know Steve. He's a good guy. He would never do that. Or there has Mm, to be a mm -hmm. reason why he did it. He would never just kill someone in cold blood. Right. An abusive person can't start out abusive. Because if they did, we would know they're abusive and they would never get anyone to date them. Right. They need their partner to love and care about them first so they can start making the justifications. They had Mm. a bad day at work. Okay. Normally, they're not like this. Or it's the alcohol. Yeah. Or they're, it's just that way when they're drinking. Mm -hmm. Generally speaking, most of the time an abusive person may be good or have, or show signs that they're in loving and caring partner. Mm. Because again, if they're abusive hundred percent of the time, I would never be with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sometimes they're going to be abusive. And if their partner's making the justifications because they like and care about them, Mm. it makes it easier for them to get away with it. Okay. So if you're explaining away your partner's bad behavior, that in of itself is your sign. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for adding that. And I, I just wanted to mention at the end, Amanda, I know you, we wanted me to add this in, um, org is this is where, just give us a quick explanation, Amanda. Um, so the, this would just be like, um, a national resource for people who are experiencing domestic violence um, and just need to reach out and get some help, some guidance. Um, it's like I said, it's a national hotline so they can, you know, look up your, your zip code or what your area code. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how they do it, but then they can connect you with a local agency um, gotcha. resource. 
Okay. I just wanted to mention that in case anyone's listening and, and goes, we you know, where can I go to, to get some support here? So that's the hotline.org. Both of you, thank you so much for coming on, for spending time to chat with me, to help educate me as well. And of course the audience, I, I really enjoyed talking with both of you um, guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening to this week's episode and look forward to bring you another one next week. Ciao.